right, I'm arresting you on suspicion between November 2016 and October 2017, conspiring to import and supply Class A and B controlled drugs, conspiring to import and supply firearms and ammunition, money laundering that you suspected of converting and transferring criminal property and removing criminal property from England and Wales, knowing or suspecting that I'm Nicola Talent, and you're listening to Crime World, a podcast about criminals, drugs, and the sins of the underworld in Ireland and across the globe. His end was swift, delivered in the cold confines of a courtroom where Thomas Bomber Kavanagh was committed to 21 years in prison for his crimes. The mob boss, who sat at the very top of the Kinahan organisation and who pumped guns and weapons into the UK and Ireland for decades, is now counting the costs of his chosen career. But how did the Gardaí and their UK colleagues in the National Crime Agency eventually catch the violent and untouchable crime boss? And how many others have gone down with him? Today, I'm talking with Sunday World Deputy Editor Niall Donald about the fall of the bomb squad and the ramifications of his demise further up the Kinahan food chain. This is Crime World, a podcast from sundayworld.com. That's the moment there that Thomas Bomber Kavanagh is arrested as he flies into the UK. What, what's happening in that little bit of audio that we've heard? Well, um, uh, Thomas Bomber Kavanagh and some of his associates, they were famously took these extravagant holidays uh, in or around Christmas time every year. Uh, I think we mentioned it in the in the Sunday World at the time, um, and uh, so it was it was by all accounts uh, absolutely all expenses plush break in and at that moment he's being arrested coming back from Mexico after that that holiday um, probably having spent an unimaginable amount of money living in unimaginable luxury but at the, as he lands back in England um, really the, the a long enduring crime empire is about to come to an end at that moment and he's as he lands in, in, in the UK he's met by officers from the NCA the National Crime Agency um, and that's the beginning of the end, I suppose. Mm. Now, what wasn't heard in court this week, I'll just refer to the um, to the investigation file that we have here. So he's interviewed on the 12th of January and asked questions at that stage about his association with Gary Vickery, Daniel Canning, Martin Byrne and Emmanuel Rosenzweig, who we hear about in court as being part of his operation in the UK. He's asked about a gathering um, in the Hyatt Hotel in December 2016, and uh, he sort of de- largely declines to answer any of the questions. Now, that is would be a classic, um, you know, I suppose, a solid criminal way to behave on arrest. He looks for his uh, legal representa- representative, and he basically keeps... Quiet. Well, he keeps dumb, um, which is always what they're, you know, what these these guys tend to do. But in a funny way, he does go back to them with 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 explanations, which you don't always see. But I think in in the UK, um, uh, just you know that 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 
he tries to address it and maybe tries to manipulate. And he takes a long time to do that. I yeah. mean, that arrest was in the January of 2019. It was the November, uh, the following November, that a prepared statement via his legal representatives are given to the member of the NCA and they've scheduled a further interview with him in the December. Um, the statement basically declines, in it, he declines knowing Canning, Byrne and Rosenwig. He said he knew Vickery, but just through the car trade, they'd both sold cars together to a company in Dubai and that Vickery and him had done a bit of business together. They'd bought and sold cars off one another. He denied any criminal contact with them, denied knowing any of the companies that ultimately led to his downfall. And uh, he said that he was only at that Hyatt Hotel to celebrate his father's 83rd birthday. Now, it took him a long time to come up with that. Um Interviewed again on the 10th of December and his legal representatives read out a further prepared statement and it dealt again with the sequence of events following his arrest. But ultimately, the, the police in the UK were told that Bomber would reflect upon them and give you any appropriate answers in due course. That's in relation to any questions they asked him. So he basically declined again to answer any questions. But I think I think you can see there... He still hopes that he's going to get away with it. He's not going to get charged. And really the thing is, although the you hear in court and we, we see some of the images released by the British authorities, um, you see uh, Canning and Vickery are, are caught on location, really. Yeah. But I think uh, uh, Thomas Kavanagh hoped that the fact that he wasn't hands-on with directly with the shipments, I think that that was really the belief that that, that was going to save him and that he could provide these statements and excuses and, you know, just, just put it, put that reasonable doubt that is necessary um, and that he would be okay. And I think that that's, that's really what he hoped with, with even giving statements is not necessarily usual, even if they're um, statements. trying to muddy the water a bit. Trying to muddy the waters and it's just, it's, it's where you're not caught right out, which was always the way in Ireland, unless you were caught red handed with the, in the room with the drugs. Yeah you're probably going to get away with it. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> you certainly had a chance. And funny, you've kind of hit the nail on the head there with Bomber because that's exactly what's going on there. He doesn't know what evidence the police have at that stage. That will come as they come to court and his legal team look for discovery of what the prosecution have, as it's the case here as well in court. And it's really only when they see this book of evidence that they know whether Bomber has a chance or he doesn't. Yeah. And even then, if you, if as you know, you're more than I do, that even when he was caught guilty, he still fought every step of the way about the, the quantity of, of drugs involved, the valuation of the drugs um, he had a series of hearings over, even after admitting pleading guilt, mm. he still tried to resist it. So um, <clears throat> he didn't go down easily. But again, undone by electronic communications, I think, ultimately. And, you know, the sloppiness of others is yeah. what undid him. While I was in court there um, in Ipswich and he was in the dock along with Canning and Vickery, as the evidence was being read to the court, it really struck me that he was so careful they got really nothing off his phones. But the problem was Canning and Vickery were forwarding messages to one another, popping them forward and back. And I think Canning's phone in particular, which was described as the master phone, there was very little deleted off it. Um, <clears throat> it even looks as if he ha held his boarding passes on it for his flights. So they were able to trace him and others going all over the world. Um, and 
you know, maybe he was new to the game. He didn't have previous convictions. He himself has claimed in his defence that, you know, life has been pretty hard since he was caught. He was back living with his mother. He was even doorstep by the media, which was something new to him. Um, So, you know, maybe he wasn't a a veteran like Bomber. No, well, I suppose you just can't get uh, drug dealers to follow the rules. (laughs) Your rules of deleting everything as you go. And, you know, that business of phones and being so extra careful and using the code language, and we heard during the case... Um, that they all had nicknames. Bomber was called Plasma. Canning was called Smiley. I can tell you, he never smiled or grinned once from the from the dock. Um, and uh, Vickery was known as Jelly. Um, the names all sound silly in in you know the very serious surrounds of a courtroom, but. They had those nicknames. They had words for cocaine. They had words for cannabis. They had, you know, code language, really. All of that has been done and has been stock and trade of criminality for years. Back in 2010, when the Cunahan organisation were supposedly undone uh, in Spain, that was all part of that investigation file then. Yeah, it was was it computers or something was the word used or... Something like that for 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 drugs. So yeah, that that was. See, these are all the old beliefs, and even if that goes back to um, to the the the, the bugging of mafia phones back in the in in New York in the nineties and eighties, they always used the code language, and I think at some point that did work. But you see again, these these little tricks of the trade don't be caught and don't become the location codes and all of that it hasn't in this case in particular and in cases in Ireland that hasn't proved sufficient to to get a not guilty verdict and you know maybe they get sloppy you know as they get shipments in in the case of bomber over a year they're talking about 23 shipments uh, valued at an enormous amount so maybe you know as it looks as it seems easy they get sloppier because I thought the code language was just so basic I mean it wouldn't have taken uh, rocket science or a team of detectives to work it out. They were calling Netherlands the flat. Yeah. They're calling Spain the salt. So- the and also, if you look at obviously how the whole, you know, obviously uh, Thomas Bomber Kavanagh had been a focus of guard attention for a long time, but he really only came, the, 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 the UK investigation really kicked off in January 2017 after the, there was a, an arsenal of weapons really found in, in Green Oak in, in County Kildare in Ireland. Um, and what led really to ultimately led to the the, the break in the investigation was again a, a document there. So it's it's the, it, it found in in Green Oak that led them to investigate. Um, led traced it really to to the UK. So again, it's although it gave them the breakthrough really in the UK to know what to go looking for. And that's part of the modern world as well in terms of documentations and, mm. and records which are which are different than they were back in at some point where not everything was electronic, but that seems to have been the the really the the, the starting point. Obviously um the the Regency had happened the year earlier and that then uh Kavanaugh's involvement in that in that feud, in in directing aspects of that um had led to, I think, to the Guardi really, you know, engaging on a different, to a different level with the NCA in, in the UK. But that was document that was found in Green Oak. Um, that seems to have been a, the starting point for for really the, 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 the long-term investigation. And while the NCA, the National Crime Agency, have got, you know, a lot of congratulations on this case, it really is the Guardi who should be the ones that are, are getting the kudos for it. Even in the opening 
of the in the during the sentence hearing last Friday and onto Monday, the prosecution case in the UK opened with saying by way of background in January 2017, the Garda Siakona made a number of arrests in Dublin, during which a significant quantity of firearms and Class A drugs were recovered in the associated searches of commercial and residential premises. Seized documentation identified a UK-based freight transport company called Ebrex Limited. Now, those documents discovered in Dublin were brought in along with all the other evidence and the guns, etc., by the Gardaí. And members of the uh, the Garda's Drug and Organised Crime Bureau went through them. And they were um, savvy enough to ring up this company, Ebrex Limited, this freight transport company. And from my understanding, when they rang the company, the company said, yes, we exist. They were an actual legitimate company. But we've never had any dealings with this base in Green Oak. So they then big time smelter at was this the key to bombers UK organization because of course the drugs the guns first have to come into the UK before they come here and certainly have been for the last decade through his organization so they then went to investigate this for logistics they discovered the various people involved in bombers operation how the premises were rented all of that information was then picked up by the NCA and really they were starting on on not the back foot. They were starting on the front foot because they knew where to look. Yeah. And you know when you know where to look, it's amazing what you can find. Yeah, and it's amazing what what actually ultimately has to be documented somewhere. Mm. So like you know obviously, with, with Kavanaugh, although he's getting the drug shipments in, but really they're almost logistical people because it's to move it around then becomes really the, the largest part of their job, which is to, to hide it, to move it between countries, to move it across, uh, presumably across the UK. And I mean, that that is the most, in, in, a, in a sense, that's the most complicated bit. But none of those things happen in the modern world without traces and records. Mm. Um, so really, although he, he gets a shipment there, but you see a lot of, a lot of his business is... is Hiding it then in 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 obviously in, in in machinery in this case, putting it in trucks, having trucks move around because trucks can't move between countries without without records of some type. So yeah, they're they're like logistical operations managers, yeah. really. You know, as much as drug dealers, as much as meeting people and yeah, they're business people. I mean, they yeah. really are. I mean, in the corporate world, you'd wonder how well they'd get on if they were just shipping something that was legal. Pretty well, probably, say, probably pretty well, and yeah. probably would have. Far less stress. And probably with the personality type to rise in the business world as well. Indeed, indeed. So the NCA, the National Crime Agency, uncovered that the drugs were being imported into the UK from mainland Europe. They were concealed within items of machinery and delivered by the legitimate transportation and logistics companies who didn't know what they were they were moving. Once at their destination in the UK, the drugs were taken out and the machinery was reloaded with the cash, which in turn was carried back to mainland Europe in payment for the drugs. Now, there was interesting aspects of this this machinery was you know specially uh, painted and it was it was specially modified in order to do this but also the type of machinery it was was kind of you know it couldn't be x-rayed so when it came into the ports the the uh, customs if they did x-ray it were just seeing the machinery but they weren't seeing the inside of it so it was very very clever and i'm sure you used by many drug gangs and probably for for years and years by um by bombers outfit even though really what they were all jailed for the 21 years 20 and 19 and a half years just related to one year yeah just related to one year and obviously um 
one of Bomber's closest associates, James Mulvey, mm. had been done previously with very similar machinery actually used to import the drugs. So you can see, although, you know, I think the, the figure is it's 30 million in that year or is it 36 million euros, 30 million in sterling. I mean, that's only one year of a criminal career that that really has been operating at a top level for, you know, certainly way more than a decade. Um, so, but yeah, the, it, it was it was a sophisticated way to move the drugs, I think, is is what that's the bit of the market he cornered. Now, interestingly, to go back just briefly to January 2017, to that Garda raid on the premises, which resulted in the UK arm of Bomber's operation being shut down, but it also resulted in the Irish arm, because here we had unknowns largely running his his weapons and, and you know, his, his headquarters here, a guy by the name of Declan Brady, a.k.a. Mr. Nobody, um, he had attended the funeral of David Byrne, Bomber's brother-in-law, who was murdered at the Regency. He had been there in the background, but he didn't wear the uniform that the Kinahan cartel members were ordered to wear. The younger guys all showed up in the same suits, shirts and ties. He is photographed at the very, very back, very kind of insignificant character who could have just been a neighbour. Yeah, so, I mean, if you look at who Bomber Kavanagh associated himself around, he had a series of people with, you know, almost no criminal past, no known linkages to, to violence and organised crime in Dublin, all Dubliners, obviously, but he had surrounded himself with a cohort of people really with quite clean criminal records. Um, Mr. Nobody, obviously, Canning and Vickery were not people that were in the newspapers in the Sunday world, named or unnamed. They weren't being referred to. They weren't people that had been involved in the Crumlin or Drimna feud, unlike some of his other associates. So he really seems to have uh, surrounded himself with people that were not going to be at, on the Garda radar in particular. Um, obviously, there's a guy named Martin Byrne that, that I've you know. heard of him. No, and that people uh, subsequently have you know, uh, you know, I'm genuinely in shock that the guy, did, nobody seems to have made that linkage. There's obviously people out there that never appear in the papers, and but everybody knows them as, as having that reputation for this. But this guy, Martin Byrne, doesn't seem to. Obviously, he, he passed away from cancer before he was... Uh, as he was under investigation. He, he, was he, under he never investigation, made it so to, he, to get that lengthy yeah. sentence. And he would have beside them because he was clearly a key part of it of the gang um, and would have been there within the hierarchy alongside Canning. Um, in actual fact, a, you know, a sort of a tree of who is who was given out during the court case. Bombers at the top, Vickery underneath them and then Canning and, and Martin Byrne and others just, just underneath them. So you had Vickery and Kavanagh as the number one and two. Um, he was a local man from Walkenstown who maybe knew Kavanagh growing up. Maybe so, and like like Declan Brady, they they you know they they never came to the attention until this real focus came in on on the bomber Kavanaugh operation, and um, they were people that didn't have that reputation locally, and um, you know they weren't uh, drinking in the pubs with Fat Freddie Thompson and Liam Byrne, or they weren't you know at the the the, the boxing weigh-ins, which hanging around with Daniel Kinnan, so these these are different guys, and that that was probably shows you that. You know how we how Bomber Kavanaugh was able to to function for so long that he wasn't being surrounded with, although obviously 
the drugs are ending up on the streets here with those those sort of notorious people. His key people were not mm-hmm. notorious. That was the secret maybe to his success all the way along. Interestingly, um, I, you know, recall when Mr. Nobody was before the courts and there was money laundering and his wife was dragged out of the before the courts as well. Um, they're all horrified that they are subject to media attention. Canning himself complained to the judge about about that. It's like as if they have this attitude that, but sure, we weren't really doing anything wrong. They just don't seem to get it. No, I mean, I suppose, I suppose ultimately, uh, people who do these things maybe don't believe they're doing anything wrong. You know, I don't know, but I mean... It's hard to understand how a guy that was, you know, running a an industrial unit that stored the kind of weaponry that was found there in January 2017. And at that time, the the Kinahan Hutch feud was in full flight. There had been 10 murders, as far as I can recall, at that stage, eight to 10 murders, and plenty more were being planned. The Guardi believed that when they raided that weapon storage being run by Mr. Nobody, Declan Brady, that they had seized guns that were primed and ready to be used in that feud. Mm. There was murders coming. There were people going mm. to be killed on the streets. There was more terror coming for Dublin and families left bereft. Well, I suppose, not to get too deep in these things, but people tell, well, I'm just minding the, the I'm not shooting anybody, I'm just minding the guns. Yeah. If somebody, you know, guns, what is it? Guns don't kill people. People kill people, is yeah, it? Is so, that what the Americans, yeah. the American gun rights people say? So that that's the way people do. They they compartmentalise their compartmentalise it because the money is really what is, yeah, you know, is their motivation. Yeah. And they believe that they're working for that money, that they deserve that money, they deserve to be able to spend it. And there is just simply nowhere else that you could get it. I mean, Kavanaugh's wealth, Brady's wealth and others' wealth, they had vast beautiful holiday homes in places that they could only have ever dreamed of maybe in yeah and like you see the rest of us could only ever dream of exactly yeah and you see like even uh the walls pictures released of of bomber Kavanaugh and and uh Declan Brady off in New York and mm. so the, these are the way this is the lifestyle that 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 the, the, the drugs bought them but again people people sell drugs and if, if you talk to them they'll always say well I don't make them people take it yeah I don't make the addicts sticking in their arm or whatever that's the way human beings are. And they also say, if I wasn't doing it, somebody else exactly. would be doing it. So, yes, which, is not un, which is not untrue, no, probably. But. There's some truth in it, all right. Yeah. Um, so, moving back to Bomber Kavanagh's um, legal representative saying that he would basically go away and think about things. He went away and th- thought about things and he saw the evidence that was against him. Um, he was clearly and completely and totally um, done for because yeah. phones largely owned by Canning and Vickery, but also the fact that they had used their own credit cards on a number of occasions to buy items that were found in some of these lockups that they were using for the drugs and the guns. Um, they really were sloppy. And I'd say when he realised how tied in he was, that he was just going to have to roll over and plead guilty. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, like the, the, the UK courts, I mean, the sentences are are very large now. I know a lot of, you know, I think it was 20, 21 years yeah. for Kavanaugh, 20 and 19, is it? Or sorry, 19, 19 and 18. and a half, 20, yeah. yeah. So they, I mean, I know a lot of that sentence is served on, on license then. Is it kind of 50%, 50% of it? 50%, yeah. So in Ireland, it's, 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 you know, about half of that. So, um, but, you know, I think that, 
the guilty plea makes a big, big difference. Mm. And without that guilty plea, he could have been looking to serve that full whack in prison. So that's they, they incentivize the guilty like they do in Ireland as yeah. well. And I think um, you know, he was he was he was going to go down and he had no choice. Yeah, the judge Martin Levitt um, you know, was very mild mannered all the way through and as Bomber was having pled guilty and you had you had Vickery and Canning still at large, despite having pleaded guilty. That was bizarre. And it was to do with COVID and it was to do with the court sittings and it was to do with all sorts of complexities like that. <clears throat> but Bomber was sort of threatening this Newton hearing, which was all about a sort of a trial within a trial. He was willing, he was going to be guilty, but he didn't want to be that guilty, as in he didn't want to be guilty for these 23 shipments. Um, and the prosecution argued that and it went to and fro. And the judge, you know, sometimes judges can be so polite and it's Mr. Kavanagh this and this and anything they can do. But ultimately, and it was one of the, the local journalists who knew the judge said to me outside, oh, yes, but he said when it comes to sentencing, he toughens up, you know, <laughs> and sure enough, he did. But um, And he was, of course, as well in Thomas Kavanagh when the home was raided. Like there was big bundles of cash found there mm. and although I'm sure there was an explanation given regarding cars, car sales and all that, like that's not looked well on mm. in modern courts, big bundles was it 35,000 sterling behind a couch or something and yeah. various places like that, like the old explanation of I won it on the horses, it just doesn't wash in the modern world so he was going to face sentencing for that anyway. It, do, it, do, it doesn't I mean look, he was the judge was, you know, in court when you come to sentencing and there's sentencing guidelines in the UK, much probably better, a lot of people would say, than there are here. So he obviously reflects back on other cases and other sentences. And actually the Mulvey case was brought up as one of those that he was reflecting back on. But there's then what happens is if somebody takes a guilty plea, that's a mitigating circumstance, which means that that's a positive for them. And then aggravating circumstances are all these other things that will go against them. And when it came to this, I think the aggravating ones, the list went on and on and on. And it was the whole setup, the complex setup of these businesses, these shadow companies, the movement of so much of the drugs through. It was exactly as you say, it was the financial gains that had been made by all of them. And that fact that he said, you know, it only really stopped because of this chance document discovered in Dublin and then the NCA getting involved. Otherwise, they'd have been still reeling in all the money and bringing the drugs in. So it was just a case of aggravation after aggravation for Justice Martin Levitt. And I was actually sitting in the courtroom um, over where the jury would usually sit. That's where they set the set that sat the press for it. There was really only a couple of um, local media and ourselves. There was no other Irish journalists over because they did have a virtual hearing. So you were able to to log in. But we thought it was of value to go out. And sure enough, it was because you're sitting actually looking. Uh, you see where we're sitting here now and just over there. So just literally, you know, about three metres away. That's where they were in behind a screen in the dock. And you could just see the there was no real sense of how they were feeling, but you could see the shoulders falling and falling and falling as the realisation was that there was absolutely no mitigating factors going on here. And they were told from the offset by the judge that they were facing between 20 and 30 years was the maximum. Yeah, it's a long time. Um, it, 
I think Bomber's in his early 50s now. So you're coming out, you know, at the age when most people are looking forward to a calm and easy retirement. Mm. Um, obviously, uh, you know, there's an expectation now as well that they, just because he's gone to prison, it's not all over for him. That I think it was said in court as well that 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 his assets now are going to become the focus of of the next bit of the the, the police investigation. And um, the money that he has managed to squirrel away in in whatever circumstance. Yeah. So he's not he's not look he's not going to come out to you know a, a golden nest egg or a, a gold watch from the no. the Kinnan cartel. Um, interestingly, uh, you know, I, I can't remember the exact wording, but there was it was said in court as well that he was uh, basically taking orders from somebody on top of him as well. He did say that in his defence. He said that, yeah. So that's 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 also the uh, the 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 reality of it. That although he he operated as you know somebody who maybe has the Mac, the equivalent of the McDonald's franchise for the UK mm-hmm. he wasn't the uh, the CEO of the overall organization mm-hmm. and obviously that that organization that person the focus according to the guardie is Daniel Kinnan who remains in Dubai and indeed the national crime agency named the Crim- the Kinnahan organized crime group as being the overall grouping of which bomber was belonging to so yes let's get to dubai where daniel kinnahan is still a free man and where my phone never stops every day with people saying ah he's just getting away with it he's touting he's doing this he's doing that he'll never be brought to justice i'm not going to go down that road because I've said it enough times at this stage that every dog will have his day and I've no doubt that he will. But going back to Dubai now, on the same day that Bomber learned his fate, his 21 years behind bars, a very significant incident happened in Dubai as well. Yeah, so um, <clears throat> Raphael Imperiali, um, who was uh, who's probably at the very peak of the, uh, the, the European drug trade, uh, an associate of Daniel Kinnahan, uh, a mafioso uh, linked to the the the, the Camorra in in Naples, um, was extradited back to Italy. Uh, there'd been a bit of to and froing. Um, he he had been arrested in Dubai, and the Dubai police had actually put out a great video of him breaking into, you know, into the villa he was staying in. The guy was living in, you know, absolute luxury, um, and then he'd been arrested and the. Uh, on the basis of the Italians looking to extradite him, gone through a few legal issues, and it looked like it wasn't going to happen. Then at one stage, actually, the Justice Minister from Italy had flown over to Dubai to have talks to make sure it did happen, and he was finally on the day that 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 um, Bomber Kavanaugh was in court for sentencing that Friday. He was finally he landed in Rome uh, under armed guard. Mm. So that you know, Imperiale was was somebody that had, had come from an organised crime background in Italy, but it, like the Kinnans, um, like a lot of the other major drug dealers that will become what's known as Europe's super cartel, he landed in, in, in Holland in the early 2000s. He'd been running a... Um, one of the cafes, the you know, the, the were selling marijuana or whatever, uh, legally, but he'd become involved in the drug trade, and all these people had come up together. The mm. Guinean uh, crime gang, then the, the the Morocco mafia, as they're known, in 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 Holland, they'd all been in their twenties at that time, and you know they had become to the 
ended up in Spain then in the in the twenty tens and ended up in Dubai ultimately. Mm. So that really is the the there there was a soup the what's been called the super cartel that involved uh, Bosnian crime organizations, the Morocco Mafia, which are a Dutch crime organization, um Imperiale, which is is obviously an Italian mafia organization, and the Kinnan Cartel, which is really the 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 Europe and UK crime organization. Mm. And so he is probably he is up there and Imperiale and, you know, he, the absolute pinnacle and looked untouchable as well. And look, when we sort of learned of the existence of this European super cartel, which was the brainchild, according to sources, by of Daniel Kinahan, a very simple joining of those four families. But there were four bosses. There was Daniel Kinahan, there was Raphael Imperiale, there was Ridwan Taji and a guy called Eden Gassanen, who was the Bosnian guy. Yeah. So... Ridwan Taji is currently in a high security jail in the Netherlands. He was handed back by the United Arab Emirates in the end of 2019. He was actually living there on a false passport. So each of them have a slightly different sort of legal situation. Um, Raphael Imperiale was discovered to be out there. He was actually due to serve a sentence in Italy, a not that lengthy sentence, five to eight years or something. He is currently supposed to be serving. So he was wanted for that, but also for um, actually for running his crime business from Dubai. Uh, Eden Gassanen, we know, well, what we, we think we know is that he is still in Dubai and he's wanted by the Bosnians. Yeah, yeah there's been reports that he has reappeared in, in Eastern Europe, mm. but he does seem to be back in Dubai as well. So mm-hmm. that, that's unclear. Um, and then obviously uh, Taji is, is... Taji is in front of like the most, the largest trial the Netherlands have ever seen, the Marengo trial. And there was also El Rico, um, who... He was the Chilean. He was the Chilean, so he seems to have, you know, obviously a large amount of the, the cocaine, obviously it's all coming from South America, but he seems to have been the, the man in Chile, because mm. a lot of it seems to have come through Chile as much as from Colombia to Chile and then gone in, in then been uh, uh, exported from there. Mm. So he's also, he was also extradited from Dubai and is now behind bars. And with Bomber gone now, um, it looks really lonely for Daniel Kinahan. He's the last man standing really there in Dubai. And this extraordinary boxing story continues how he's trying to sports wash his reputation. He pops in and out of the limelight, does publicity stints. The last one ended quite peculiarly, despite his promises of a three and a half hour interview on the James English podcast. It's been pulled yeah, it's been pulled, and it's. I mean, I, I there's would no ex- mention of it. There's no mention of it, but I would expect it to to appear. But there's obviously it has to be edited. I mean, all of us have to be edited. But uh, maybe some, maybe and if legal. you're the top, <laughs> but maybe if you're the top of a cartel, you don't like being edited as much as maybe humble journalists like yourself mm. who accept I that do. sentence has to come out. I do, I do. Um, so look, it was a very significant week, and. There certainly is still more to come. This is all we're seeing is part of, you know, the jigsaw and it's coming together and it's part of what has been a seven really to 10 year nearly operation to take down these these European mafias. You can't do it in a day. No. And I mean, especially you see um, that that how they have to bring them to justice. They have to. It's really the electronic 
that kind mm-hmm. of which is very very painstaking that kind of putting all that together the idea that these guys when they get to that level are going to be waving in a truck full of cocaine it's just not not the case but you know a lot of um police officers you might speak to would say to you that uh when it comes to the bad guys they have to be lucky all the time but when it comes to them they only have to be lucky once and i think this is an absolute case of that bomber Kavanaugh got away with a lot over a long period of time but when that guard from the Garda's Drugs and Organised Crime Bureau put his hand on that piece of paper and actually concentrated on it and went on to make the phone call to the company that it was purporting to be from. That's when Bomber's luck ran out. Exactly. And the states, states ultimately, they're powerful, you know. They are powerful when they have their their mind on a, on a, on a task. OK, Niall Donald, thank you very much. Thanks, Nicola. You've been listening to Crime World, a podcast from sundayworld.com. Produced by Ian Mullaney and edited by me, Nicola Talent. If you like the podcast and love true crime, why not download the free sundayworld.com app for lots more stories from Ireland and across the globe.